Barry Sherry here. Thanks for tuning in to Pink Noise, a radio show dedicated to amplifying the voices of those who have mined and shined their inner gold. Today I find myself in the city of Washington, D.C., where I flew from Seattle to meet my partner, who I last saw on his birthday, June 27th, in Portland, Oregon, as he cycled off with a crew of nine to pedal their way across America. 24 days and nine hours later, he reached the finish line at the Lincoln Memorial, some 3,500 miles from where he began. To say that I'm awestruck by his fortitude, grit, and determination is truly an understatement. He is, in fact, a different man than the one I left in Portland. Kevin has taught me that unconditional love is holding space for the other person to become, to change, to expand and contract. We were never meant to stay the same, to fit some idea of who the other person wants us to be but rather to explore, to adventure, and to discover what is possible in this lifetime. By modeling this behavior and telling me that my only job is to be more myself, I knew I had met my forever person. But this episode today isn't about our love story. It's about a surprising encounter with a kindred spirit who I met last night. Before I introduce you to Trish Pearson, I would like to acknowledge that Washington, D.C. is the traditional territory of the Nacotchank, Anacostan, and Piscataway people. I recognize that the United States was built on indigenous land and pay tribute to the tribes who have stewarded these lands, waters, and animals for centuries. These tribes have much to teach us, and I intend to be a better listener with each passing day. This is apparently the theme I'm following right now, as the thing that sparked my curiosity about Trish was when she encouraged me to talk to my body, to be still, pay attention, and listen to its wisdom. This is where we begin. Welcome to Pink Noise, Trish Pearson. Thank you so much, Sherry. It's been wonderful knowing you. All of 24 hours? (laughs) That's all it takes sometimes. I think it's even been less than 24 hours since I met you here in Washington, D.C. This is by far the most unique meeting and knowing I've experienced in the 40 episodes of doing this program, there was something that you said around making the unconscious conscious and you quoted Jung. And I immediately felt a connection with where you were coming from. And I knew I wanted to hear more. Well, thank you, Sherry. Um, yeah, when I the moment I saw you, I saw your hair and everything. Your energy lights up the room. You bring in um, all that magnificence that you want to see. The fluorescence of your heart open into the world, 
And I think that that is a product of making the subconscious conscious every day. You know, we can just keep, as you were saying, mine the gold in your subconscious um, and do as what Young, uh, his quote was, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life and you'll call it fate. So we were talking about taking responsibility for your actions and just really having compassion with yourself and with others and turning things like the deafness into listening. And then you can have your epiphanies and turning the self-obsession into, you know, peace. Peace is better any day of the week. Uh, but people continue to want to uh, fight the urge to be diplomatic, uh, you know, to be safe in a, in a false way. And um, these are the concepts that I think we had started talking about. You paralleled kind of this self-obsession and, you know, how much happier we are when we're at peace. And so do you have experience with self-obsession that led you to the journey of more peace? Well, honestly, I think we all have. Um, I, I think that um, it's one of the things I look at everything about what I've been, you know, my sole mission is we take a look at uh, when we look at our defense mechanisms, we look at um, the duality, not just the duality of infinity, but the duality of our personal uh, things that in our life that we need to, we were brought here to learn and move past and really get to why are we doing this? It's not just because life is all about suffering and, and pain. Uh, pain is a language and working on, um, I, so I started doing graphic design in 94 and I love shapes and colors and I, I worked in fashion and housewares and, uh, you know, I can set up a room and make it anything beautiful. Uh, but I, I knew there was more in about 2006, I moved on to, um, doing massage therapy and, Reiki and the healing arts, because it, it was just clear to me that I'm, I'm not just here to, um, to show like what looks good and falls well on the shape of my body or helping others on the surface. It was much more of a, um, an interest in diving into learning about how our expectations uh, prevent us from celebrating these dualities in our personality create blockages for our energy to flow. So in order to fully get to our soul mission, we really need to take a, a good look at what we're doing in life uh, that causes us to be nervous or crisis prone and blaming and taking on shame. Like none of these things work for us, but we continue to do them over and over and over. But if we take a look at those defense mechanisms and really just be okay with the fact that that was our plan. And now we have a new plan. Well, it sounds like you've gone on a journey starting with, with graphic design and interiors and fashion and found your way into massage therapy. You even told me that you had studied psychology. And so the conversation we were having about body talk, about talking to our bodies. And then you added this piece that you had studied psychology. And I thought, so now here's a person 
that not only has an intuition about her body, but she understands the mind body as well as the physical. And so can you say a little bit more about the connection points of why studying psychology was important to you as a massage therapist? Absolutely. And I thank you for being present and awake and being able to see what's in front of you. Um, It was very important for me to understand the mind um, because anatomy and physiology and kinesiology, the way we use our bodies, everybody is doing differently. And, you know, as the thousands and thousands of bodies came and went and with me being able to help them to alter their structure. Uh, when I w- moved on uh, to also take on a degree uh, to have a bachelor's of um, science in psychology, it was to fully understand how the mind's role in the communication that our body is giving us. So we have um, a system of pain that the body communicates to us where it says, you know, we feel it in our body here and the body is, it's not just trying to make you feel bad. It's saying, pay attention to this. This is important because, and the mind and the body and the spirit is all connected. And until we get quiet enough to listen to what it's saying, Uh, and listen to when it happens. It's always, there's, there's patterning to when it happens. There's specific things are going on when the pain comes out and where the pain is occurring. So I, I was very interested in watching how, and you can see it after you work on many, many, many people in a row where things are consistent. There, if you have this type of pain, it always seems to be here. And if you have that type of emotion it, it is. And there's also the, um, I am studied in the uh, Chinese theory where they have uh, for, you know, thousands of years old documents on how they have studied um, the meridian theories where there's emotions attached to meridians along the uh, lines in the body. And uh, that works really well with psychology because you can take that emotion and say, well, how does that apply to me? How do I have a self-obsession that being at ease would actually help me to be devoted fully? Well, I'm flaky if I am forced to be devoted to do something that I don't want to do. Then you just, your body just starts saying, no, I don't want to do that. And you just, you wake up late and you don't want to, you know, so you, your body starts forcing you to be on your soul mission. And when you start to take responsibility for things like that, you don't get agitated and you don't get um, nervous because uh, these things can be expressed and you can take responsibility for what you actually want in life. Do you imagine that people feel they don't have a choice? What I heard you just say is that if you're listening, there's there's resistance in the body, and then it sends a message to the mind, which has you um, get up late, like almost sabotage your ability to show up for the thing that you're doing in your life. But it sounds like there's some stuff going on underneath in the background, some narrative that knows you don't really want to be doing that thing. 
And so to be on soul mission means that you're more in flow and you're showing up for what you love, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking for anyone that isn't there yet, it, like, why do you think that is? My guess is that people feel they don't have a choice. I agree with you. I think that fear does that. Fear is something that we all need to have the courage to face. And it, sometimes it's just, and you've evolved to the point where you're afraid of something you don't even know. And then your body is, is, has jumps in and starts getting rigid and showing you there's something here. Uh, and, but yeah, I think that having the courage to move past our fears is something that you, you see wasn't as hard as you thought it was on the other side until you break through the fear. And, um, and that is not everybody's sole mission to do. Sometimes there's, there's people whose sole mission it is to point out that it's, it's okay to let go. It's okay. We're here. We can understand what you're going through. We can point out this is, um, I feel like I'm one of these people that were brought here to take on one client after the next and talk to people about, okay, well, your body is saying this. Uh, I hear your body very clearly telling me this and would help you to acknowledge and be okay with the fact that this is fine. Some things are out of our control. Some things, uh, you, no matter how much love you have for yourself and for life, like this is something that, you know, people live, people die and um, things come and we aren't in control and trying to control it just stops the flow. Yeah. I was just reading a chapter from uh, one of my favorite authors, Dr. Susan Campbell, and um, this particular section of the book was talking about communicating and connecting uh, to control versus to relate. And there's so many examples that are familiar to the pattern that I used to have in relationship where I was like, wow, that was communicating to control. If you have a desired outcome and you want someone to behave a specific way, like it's, it's amazing how with language, we, I, <laughs> I'll make it personal. I uh, only, only knew that way. Like that's how I get what I want. But it's incredible when you soften and you surrender and you're not attached to the outcome. Exactly. Speak your truth from your heart. And, you know, if, if it can be manifested, then great. And if not, like, I'm going to be okay without the thing that I'm asking for. I am. You're just bringing chills to my spine. <laughs> you're on the pulse. I think the detachment from the expectations is what causes the real epiphanies and it allows the real epiphanies for us. Yeah. I wanted to back up and hear a little bit more about the meridians that you studied so as I became an herbal counselor, um, I learned how to, uh, in 98, this is the start of leaving graphic design and kind of heading out into the woods, 
finding plants, identifying plants, making medicine, um, you know, making aromatherapy, making, um, you know, medicine you can eat and put on your body. And, uh, you know, cause the, the skin is an organ. It's an amazing organ that takes in everything that's on it. And we put all kinds of things on us that turn our senses off. And we put lots of things in our body to turn off the signals that our body are telling us, you know, I'm not saying don't enjoy yourself. I'm just saying sometimes we do a lot of things that, that causes us to have a harder time hearing what our body is saying. I've not talked to someone who's studied Chinese meridian theory. And I was curious to know more about it. Like, okay. what, what is it that I could lean into or learn about that would allow me to expand my capacity to listen to my body? Chinese medicine is um, the, the text that I read. It took me about five years to unpack. So if it's not on your soul mission, you don't find too many people doing it themselves. But there, it, but on a very basic level, it's very cool to, to just notice that, okay, so if I have like skin things, skin things are going on, that's the expression of the liver gallbladder meridian. And the liver gallbladder meridian focuses on anger and what am I experiencing that I'm angry at someone else about? But the reality is that person that that person that I'm angry at is really an opportunity to be take responsibility for something within me that I don't like about what I'm blocked. And it's just to blame someone else and say, that person makes me angry, angry, angry. Okay, thank you for making me angry person. And um, what made me angry? What in me did I notice that that person made me angry about that I can just start taking responsibility for? And maybe the next time you see that person and they act the same way, it won't bother you anymore. And that just becomes their problem and you're good with them. And, but so the responsibility is, is really where it's about. But I mean, there's different meridians. There's the, um, Long, large intestine has a lot to do with sorrow. So, you know, grief stricken, uh, you can get uh, help with getting stuff out. Or uh, so there is just lots of different ways uh, to have uh, channels go uh, flow in the body, like the uh, vital life force essence, the kidney bladder. Uh, Meridian, uh, when it's flowing, you're really on your soul mission. The big one is the heart. Well, I think it's important to keep the heart open because the heart is, um, is where the body wants to evolve to. The body wants to move to an open heart. The body wants the energy to continue to flow past survival, where we have it sitting down in our abdomen and our lower body. And it, it, the energy wants to continue to flow into the heart and throughout the entire body and then connect us to source or God or however you want to experience um, the universal energy. But the open heart, if it's not open, the energy just stays stuck. 
in the middle of our body. What are some of the ways that you found to opening your heart? Taking responsibility for my own actions and taking responsibility for the dualities of my uh, personality. Is it best to be uh, cowardly and hostile? Or is it best to just realize that you're capable of an um, awakening? You're capable of a depth of awakening. Mm -hmm. And to let other people tell you that that's not how things are done doesn't help you. <laughs> I wonder if you're speaking from experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we are social creatures. We, we want to fit in. We want to be a part of the team. We want to be a part of the group. And if the group says we don't do it that way, then you say, oh, I better not do it that way. And then your body says, yeah, that's how we do it. That's what we we're about here to do. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. If, you, if we don't do that, then we're going to break. Okay, body. We don't want to break. <laughs> My last guest, Erin Kalo, is someone committed to building community with open-hearted, like-minded, spiritual entrepreneurs who are here to live out, as you say, their sole mission. And he found it tired and lonely to go the path alone. And he had an awakening from being a successful businessman, creating companies from scratch, selling them. And what he was valuing was productivity until he learned to value something else much more important. And in going on that path, he was calling in other people to join him. And now he spends most of his time kind of uncompensated building community for individuals like that. And, and what I'm hearing you say is that when you recognize what it is you need and what it is you're here to do, that you might be met with resistance and that it's important. Now I'm gonna put words in your mouth, but maybe I'll just say this. <laughs> it seems important to find your tribe. Agreed. So that collectively you can grow stronger. The ripple effect of what you're doing can have a greater impact on the communities around you. Indeed. And where do you find that? Where do you find your community? Everything's always constantly changing. Like just hearing the story uh, about this gentleman. Um, I love hearing stories about people finding their gift and seeing how something may have looked like not profitable. And now the profit looks different. There's the, there, is, there is a profit, but it might not be a dollar bill. You know what I mean? Like he had, he brought a gift and the money always comes when you're um, on the right path and you are flowing. Um, and I think that's one of the things that people don't really uh, understand that 
surviving doesn't allow you to feel abundant and doesn't allow you to feel lucky and doesn't allow luck to find you and doesn't allow money to flow to you. So um, I think trying to step away from um, overthinking, that is one of the, the biggest things that I've kind of worked on in my life is how to let things happen and flow versus analyze too much. I mean, analyzing is great. I have a lot of information that just flows out of me to all, you know, all the people that are attracted to me get a piece that I remember, you know, it's boring to me because I've known it for decades, but it's not boring to someone who just learned it for the first time. And that's, what's wonderful about lots of information, but learning to find the gift like you're like this gentleman you're talking about did learning to find the gift from some of the things that you're just naturally good at and not get caught up in the negativity of it <laughs> a quote that i wrote down from him that seems really fitting and i wonder what how you would define it for yourself he said Our wounds are often the source of our calling. Agreed. Yeah, our wounds are definitely um, what causes that pain that opens the communication with the body. That if we want to be victimized and blame everyone else, we won't hear the language. We won't hear what it's saying. If we were, if we can't literally just can't hear what it's saying at all, then there's people that can help. Um, and you can find them if you're listening to where you're, where you need to be flowing to. What would you say to someone who doesn't have a relationship with their body where they can know how to listen? What is it that you would say to someone like that? What do you want to change? What do you want out of your body that you're, that you're not able to connect to? I, would, I think I'd need to know what the person, where they were coming from and what they actually needed in order to have an avenue in. I've talked to people who, when I use phrases from my somatic practice that I've dropped into through authentic relating training is we talk about what is the physical sensation in my body right now? So um, do I have tingling in my shoulders? Um, what's happening with my toes? Can I feel the sensation of the fabric against my butt as I'm sitting on this chair? Like what is it that I can notice in my physical body with regards to sensation. And then going a layer deeper than the skin, you know, is my belly settled? What's my heart doing? Is my throat open or constricted? And in dialogue, I've more recently offered comments about my physical sensation in connection with another. And I occasionally meet someone who says, 
I don't know how to locate a sensation in my body and describe it for you. And so being someone that works with the body, I just wondered if you had any suggestions for folks like that. Everybody's body is different, but you could always take a look at what you're taking into your body. If you find something is something that you need more than you want, maybe there's something there. Maybe if you find yourself doing something that you beat yourself up about doing, maybe there's something there. I mean, you can start to drop things and have the courage to drop things that are deafening your listening to your body. Um, because there's always, your body's always continuing to communicate with you. There's always something really loud that's being ignored. Thank you. What is it that you would like people to know about what you know? Hmm. I'd like people to know that it, it's possible for people to communicate and connect in a better way than we're doing right now. When I work with horses, it always blows my mind how as soon as I connect with them, they have a way of communicating to me that it's important to them that I know that I've been accepted into the group, the tribe, the, the group of horses, the group, you know what I mean? I had one horse um, who I was working on for kissing spine, which is um, when the vertebrae get so close together that they start squishing the um, nerves and it's constant pain. And horses, if they don't move, their lymphatic system doesn't operate and it's, it's a, um, a death sentence if they can't move. Um, so movement is important and they will continue to move even if it's in pain. And uh, when I was helping these horses move faster and better and, and helping their spines, they started to do things like smell me deeply from my ankle all the way up to my arm and flip my arm up and stick their nose in my armpit. And I just was like, I had to ask the trainer if that was normal behavior because it seemed so very clear that they were smelling me, identifying me and accepting me. And I think that that type of communication is possible among humans. I don't think not, obviously we're not going to smell each other from ankle to armpit, but um, the horses, they have their own anatomy and smelling is huge. So um, people probably with our, you know, neocortex as, cortex is as they are, we would, communicate we would talk we would be diplomatic um versus showing each other and we have facial expressions horses have bony faces and they can't they have to do lots of different movements and stuff they can't just smile <laughs> and change their face it's like a bone uh so there is a way that we can be better at being a better uh collective without you know saying socialism i'm not saying that i'm saying i'm saying we can be a better union of people and i um without uh having nothing to do with with um government do you know what i'm saying we can communicate better we can be a, a 
a community of people that are better at hearing each other and better at being um, citizens that accept everybody and include everybody. Maintaining our individuality. What a lesson. <laughs> I mean, I heard you just tell me a story about a horse that leads to your understanding of how we can be better humans. Yeah. Yeah, they very clearly are a tribe. They're concerned about each other. They're concerned about all of the other horses that they can sense. It's like the story I read about forests and the mycelium that has their web of um, roots underneath the forest bed that communicates which tree in the forest needs extra attention. Yeah. And how to send more water, love, energy, nutrients to that tree. They all care about its health and well-being. Yeah, they're all intertwined. They know they're intertwined. They're working together. They're working with the other elements in nature. It's possible to make things easier. And we have a lot to learn on that. We sure do. We Changing do. a few things about perspective uh, and being open to is uh, a great, great start. Yeah. I'm so moved by this part of the conversation about how we can be better connected to each other. What's some of the work that you've explored or learned about that has you be hopeful for that end? Uh, energy intuitive work brings me great hope. Being able to communicate with the bodies without talking is, um, is huge. And I think that the more that we practice this, the better everyone will get at it. it. It shouldn't be just a few people that have made it their life's mission to figure out. Everybody has the potential. I'm not saying I'm not special. I'm just saying, <laughs> just saying this is, this is something everybody can do. You know what I mean? And again, steps for the curious. <laughs> what, yeah. what are the steps for the curious? What are the steps for the curious? Um, oh, boy. Doing more Reiki treatments and listening and just knowing that you can take in what you need. The universe is, is there with full of energy for you. And you can, you can reach to it to get what you need. And you can go to practitioners and, and ask what you're feeling and what, I, what was I not feeling? Do you know what I mean? I think so. Uh, seek out practitioners that expand your awareness of your own energy field. Yeah, if you, if you need help to find it or to see it or to hear it. I imagine there are people who do. I'm still learning. I mean, every day I'm just practicing being human over here. 
Exactly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I mean, part of the reason why I do this show is to selfishly learn from, you know, other experts who are standing in their dignity, having acquired some knowledge around an area that, you know, I, I don't have any expertise in. Well, I think sharing information is, is critical to everybody being more open with each other and being able to share and being able to know that abundance is about not hoarding. It's about having more and more and more of everything and being able, do you know what I mean? And I'm not talking about shoes, even though shoes are awesome. I like to have, I have a lot of shoes. But <laughs> it's, a, it's a perception of being able to be aware that I have everything I need today. And I have all kinds of things I want tomorrow and they're coming to me. And I'm aware that I have everything I need today and I do not operate from a lack. But if you're stuck in operating from a lack and blaming everybody, blaming the government, blaming everybody, blaming everybody, this is why this is happening to me. That doesn't work. It's not abundant. It's not connected. It's disconnected. Mm. <laughs> I, I think that's why one of the biggest messages that I've received in the past decade since I've been paying a little more attention is that the shortest path to happiness, not that happiness is always the end game, because I get that it's peaks and valleys and it's about the life experience and having more ease in your life, but breeding gratitude has always felt like the shortest path away from discontent. Yes, gratitude um, has a huge abundance of energy that flows to you when you have it for anything it brings energy to that experience there was something you had said about our body and our skin and the things that we put on our skin and how our skin absorbs it and the things that we eat can you say more from your perspective about um like what you do to feed your skin and your body so that you create energetic abundance for yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. The um, life is full of things that we need to detox. And if we put them on ourselves, then we're just creating more work for our body. So taking note that, you know, we can bring into ourselves the you know, the chemicals that we need to detox off or out, or we could just choose not to buy that product, choose not to support that product and have it go um, away eventually if it's not bought enough. Um, chemicals, that's, that's pretty much how I feel about chemicals, but um, not everybody is very sensitive to chemicals. Not everybody has that um, experience yet. So it, it, it's, it's hard to know what is the best thing for you if the thing that is your body is working really hard to throw away doesn't bother you. Um, so, I mean, and Mother Nature seems to have 
a, a deeper awareness than me on this. You know what I mean? Like mother nature knows what's going on. There's definitely a lot of people eating a lot of salt and that's not the end of the world. Salt is not like the enemy. And I think that we go back and forth uh, saying, eat this, don't eat this, eat this, don't eat this. And like telling people what to feel and how to feel about what they're eating. And the reality is the body knows what it needs, what it wants. And it, it knows what to attract to it to, to detox out what you need to and what is changing within you. And if that's salty snacks, then I would eat your salty snacks and not beat yourself up for the fact that you're eating a salty snack because your body needed that salt for something. Um, obviously there's addiction and obsession, which is another avenue, but that's not what I was talking about. I'm talking about just like listening to what you're attracted to and knowing that that's, there's a reason for it. And if salt is one of the things that you're being, salt is purifying and detoxing. And I mean, you can overdo salt too, but I mean, there's, I find that salt is one of those things that I personally really enjoy. And I like to change everything about me all the time. And maybe that's helpful for my body to use all that salt. So yeah, back to mother nature's plan or sources plan. Like I, I, I can mine my own subconscious, but I, I will never know nature's plan unless I just listen every day. You talked about your body wanting salt. <laughs> oh, a little fun fact about me that a lot of my listeners know is I am a regular and huge champion for the uh, sensory deprivation saltwater float tanks. <laughs> and I've been a member for over five years of Float Seattle. And my membership has waxed and waned over the years with my income, but uh, I am currently enjoying an unlimited membership. Nice. Under a happy hour pretense, which is like non-peak times, Monday through Thursday. When I'm in Seattle, I am typically floating twice a week for an hour. In awesome. a thousand pounds of salt. Yeah. <laughs> I call it my space pod. I love it. The priorities that I need to focus on in my life rise to the top. Stories unfold. Really potent life-changing communications are revealed to me that I need to have with one person or another in my life. And I come out of those tanks journaling furiously. Now I've been doing voice memo recording so I can just get it out as fast as I can audio wise. And uh, yeah. So the salt is not only good for my skin and my body, but being in that, in that sensory deprived state, I can listen more clearly to what my mind and my body wants and knows. And so for exactly. me, that's my gateway. I like it. Yeah. So you said your, your body knows what it needs and what it wants and to listen. And then you mm -hmm. mentioned the, um, the obsessive end of the spectrum being folks um, who might struggle with addiction. 
how do you define the difference between giving your body what it wants in your example of salty snacks versus just general cravings? Like, oh, I have a craving for ice cream. I have a craving for dill pickles. I have a craving for a big plate of cheesy pasta. Um, are you suggesting that indulging those cravings is healthy for like mind, body, spirit to just kind of be a little bit indulgent or where's the line of answering the call and making responsible choices for our health? Like how, how would you parse that out? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's good to know your scope. Uh, my scope is I have a nutrition class. I do not have a nutrition certificate. So if, um, if someone was to ask me about nutrition, I can say, well, we know the four food groups. Uh, we know that um, our body communicates with us and says what it needs. But if someone really needs like a nutritionist, then they need to go and, and find someone uh, trained to, to help them with uh, more than a basic amount of energetic um, training. You know what I mean? I have energetic training and I know how to listen to my body. And um, I think it was important for me to understand, like you need antioxidants in your diet. You need, uh, you know, especially if you, and you need water, you need, you need to have know what amount of water to drink to really fully detox, especially if you like to cruise through uh, your life, just making sure that you're unfolding as quickly as possible. Some people want, have just this voracious appetite for uh, evolving the self. And that involves changing your body as well with it. So, I mean, there's obviously, there's people who came into this life and need, uh, you know, greater help with, um, with addiction. And those, I mean, those are very delicate issues and can be, uh, you know, detrimental to your, uh, health and existence if it's not approached by the right, um, you know, resource. So if someone has a real problem with addiction, they need to go to a counselor that is capable of helping them, uh, take baby steps towards, you know, not falling off the cliff when, while they, rediscover health because there's a there's a deep dark hole and I love the abysmal I dive off into it all the time and I don't stay at the bottom and hurt myself but if you get stuck there then you definitely need the right resource to get back do you know what I mean thank you for saying all that <laughs> I think it's really important when we talk about these subjects to name the dark side, to, to name what can happen yeah. if someone goes too far and, and what the recommended step is. So yeah. I'm, I'm feeling a lot of deep admiration for you naming the suggestion of, if you find yourself there, please do seek a professional who is trained and educated to um, be your best guide. Yeah, there's no shame. There's no shame in wanting to explore what you were, what you came here to explore. 
and knowing who your resources are, knowing that, you know, I am very good at, at helping people, but I am not a medical professional as far as I'm not a, I'm not a medical doctor. And um, my suggestions are not prescriptions and doctors have prescriptions on how to save lives. And when it gets to that level, you do need to be dealing with, with medical professionals. And psychiatrists and uh, counselors have a very a delicate way of helping people get back to health with doing no harm. We do no harm as massage therapists and um, Reiki masters, but it's it's very different category. You mentioned that evolving the mind requires evolving the body along with it. I was really curious to hear a little bit more about that. What sort of changes did you experience? Let's make it personal. <laughs> hmm. I think it's fascinating watching the shape of my body change as I change things. Um, Such as? Like, I'm okay watching like different parts of my body get bigger and then smaller. I'm okay with um, just seeing whatever the body needs to do. Like sometimes I feel like when I'm having like a lot of deep epiphanies, there's nothing I can do to make my belly flat when it usually is. It just kind of likes to stick out and have a lot of energy there. And if I fight that, maybe I won't have the epiphany I'm meant to have. So there's parts of uh, physical being, maybe I just wear a different type of dress that day and don't wear a pencil skirt if it's going to be a day where I'm having lots of energy cooking in my core. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Hearing that makes me want to wear a big moo-moo every day. <laughs> I want to have the most expansive belly possible. Bring on the epiphanies, please. Exactly. <laughs> that's wonderful <laughs> that sounds like a bit of a journey of self-love as well having some yeah. and compassion for yourself as you move through states yeah the fashion world has its um the obvious bilateral symmetry indicates a well-working human, but it also has its demands on the body that is not realistic in many ways. But uh, I love color and shapes and fashion and of all kinds. So definitely not dissing the fashion industry. They can evolve too. <laughs> yeah. And as we uh, get close to the hour on our time together, I'm wondering what you'd like my listeners to know about you and your practice. Um, do, you, do you do any virtual work with clients energetically? I do. I do. I have started doing uh, Zoom meetings and um, it, is, it started with the horse work. Knowing that I can work on them remotely made it very clear that there's the only thing stopping me from working on humans remotely is knowing that they might say that it's not possible when 
maybe I'll just bring in the energy of the people who don't believe it's not that, uh, who believe that it's possible to me. And then we can just grow from there. How would someone reach you? Um, I have um, my uh, email is uh, Trish Pearson therapy at gmail.com. And I usually just have people email me and I set up appointments from there. Nice. Is it okay if I include that email in the show notes? Sure. I'd love for people to be able to reach out if they were intrigued by things that you said today. Well, I'd be grateful. (laughs) (laughs) Any topics that I haven't asked you about? I feel like we got pretty deep. It's been a pleasure meeting you. Thanks. I love your uh, fluorescence and your uh, ability to just draw to you what you what you need and what you're experiencing that day and what you want. I love it. You're a perfect example. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for being open to the conversation. Absolutely. A few closing notes here that are still resonating from this conversation with Trish today. Pain is a language. What does it have to say? What is our body trying to tell us? This has me curious to pay more attention and listen, to look for the patterns. I wrote this line down, turning deafness into listening, and then you can have your epiphanies. As we closed this conversation, she encouraged me to check out a place in D.C. called Art Tech House. She was excited about the interactive projected fractal art. I added it to my list, but with three days left here, I'll have to see what works in our flow. Next week, I'll be visiting my partner's mom in Italy, and we'll see who I meet along the way. It'll be another interview from the road as my summer travels continue. Until then, keep mining and shining that inner gold. <laughs>